This piece was brought to you by Roberta's. Roberta'spizza.com. Meat and 3 is Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week on Meat and 3, we're bringing you highlights from Feast Portland, like our chat with the one and only Andrew Zimmern. I'm super excited to be here because for people who do what I do for a living, we do tons of, you know, desk side chats and podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. And you circle the handful of ones in a year where you get to talk with people that you're really excited about talking with. So this is this is awesome. We picked up on some recurring themes while talking to our impressive roster of guests, including the current state of Portland's food scene, personal identity, and believe it or not, the influence of great chef's grandmothers. Mima never touched a drop of booze in her life and now has a distillery named after her. But I grew up in her garden and just really, she taught me all good things come from scratch and women can be anyone they want to be. So tune in for this week's extra special episode. Subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's September 25th. 2018. I'm Jimmy Carboni back in the studio with Beer Sessions Radio. And it's been a long time, long summer, and uh, we've got some great friends here in the house. I mean, one of my favorite parts of New York City are the, are the great Good Beer Seal and just Good Beer Bars in, in New York, what they do in terms of selling beer and educating people, but also just giving you a great experience. And uh, a couple of the leaders in that community, Zach Mack from ABC Beer Company. Zach, how are you? Good, Jimmy. It's really good to see you. And uh, Kevin Heald from Malt and Mold. Hey, Jimmy. Great to see you. So we kind of built the show around you guys because I wanted to talk about some things like just, you know, the selection of beers, how you guys purchase, um, you know, interacting with customers and, and how you approach sales. And there's so many different breweries, you know, how, how, you, how you keep your heads above water in terms of keeping track of it. But I know you, you also brought in um, John. John, introduce yourself. Hey, what's going on? John O'Donnell uh, runs Radagast Beer Hall, the beverage program there, too. So we're going to talk a little bit about just retailing beer and and uh, food's an important part of it as well. We'll touch on that. I know, Kevin, you brought us some beer cheese. So we'll be tasting you know, some of your beer cheese. So you, and you guys all. make it, don't you? You make the beer cheese there. Yes. Um, and I brought three different styles to show you the uh, effect that different beer has on the actual flavor of the cheese. That's great. And we got some new friends in from Dissolver. They'll be opening next year in Asheville. You guys introduce yourselves as well. Yeah. Vince Tercy. I'm Mike Semnek from Dissolver. Thanks for having us. And they've got a big, great backstory. Uh, Vince, you worked at places like Nightshade, Lord Hobo in the past, yep. and we're really looking forward to trying some of your beers. Cool. Okay. So, um, Zach, how you been, man? The last thing you know, you, you took the advanced Cicerone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a summer, huh? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's been pretty crazy. We opened up another place out on Governor's Island, but you know, we're, uh, we're over in the East Village where I feel like we get a little bit less of the slowdown in the summertime, so things have been chugging along retail-wise. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like very distracted by this beer cheese. It's ridiculously good. <laughs> well, this is this is part of beer retailing. I mean, you, you, Kevin, you really set yourself apart, and and I know you, you guys all have great food programs. Radagast, ABC Beer Company, and uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin, why did you come up with beer cheese? That's become like a really popular item at, at your place. Yeah, it took us a while to put it together, but it it is the exact. Um full malt and mold so beer and cheese all put together it's a great snack at while you're standing there at our place you know it just encourages people to drink more beer and then it's it's a just a really uh delicious way to bring us home so your shop is very interesting i know you started as a a bottle shop in lower east side so you you have a shop where you can buy bottles to go cans growlers and then uh we've got the draft line so you can come and have a pint we have a regular tavern license so you can Sit and have a pint. You can even have a glass of wine if you like. But then um, I'm big on taking growlers home. I, I love draft beer. So we're, you know, it's it's set up as a growler shop first and foremost. And then, um, yeah, we have a really nice collection of cans that you can take as well. That's great, man. You guys want to say anything? Malt and Mold is a really cool place. Malt and Mold's great. I, he's the same setup that I have. And uh, for, we've crossed paths so many times since we both opened that it's we're, we're very much in the same game. And it's it's great to see 
how the neighborhoods around us have, have kind of come around and, and embraced the concept, like knowing that you can go someplace to hang out and have a drink or to fill something up and take it home, um, which culturally doesn't exist in a lot of other places. Just thanks to the laws in the state, we get uh, we get kind of get a pass on that. So um, yeah, it's it's fun. It's a a little bit overwhelming to run sometimes, both a retail and a and a bar component. But you know, life's too short to just have one endeavor. You know. And then it, it works that you can buy. I remember it was old New York. So many bars yeah. in New York have always had that. I think this in New York, any bar you have, you can still sell beer to go. Yeah. I remember right. old bars on the Upper West Side. You go in, you've got the, the price at the, at the bar, and then you can buy a six-pack. It was like Blatt's for 50 people, cents. Yeah, people still wrap their heads yeah. around that every time they walk <laughs> in. They're very confused, but they're like, are you guys breaking the law? I'm like, no, it's actually been on the books for a very long time. And people, people still don't really understand that. And then how does it work for you guys? I mean, I, I always think of you as a retail shop, Kevin. Yeah, we, we think of ourselves as a retail shop first and foremost with, um, you know, if, if you want to have a pint of beer while shopping for beer and or cheese, you can do just that. Um, but then we built a mug club, and from there we, we start to think of ourselves a little bit more as a bar or, or a club, I guess. It's, uh, it's, it's changed. It's evolved a little bit. It's become, you know, it's what keeps it interesting in that, you know, we're constantly rethinking exactly what we are. We're different things to different people, certainly. And then definitely midday, we're, we're a cheese shop, first and foremost. And then uh, as we cross into, like, 4.30, 5 o'clock, we get some of the parents coming out with strollers, and they're just going to have a pint of beer, a glass of wine. And then as people are coming off the subway, we transition quickly into, you know, being a, uh, a neighborhood bar. I mean, one that closes at 8 p.m., but a neighborhood bar nonetheless. It's interesting because we have the, pretty much the same interaction with our customers. I've had customers who've come in for the six and a half years have been open who've never dropped, bought a drop of beer uh, in the entire time we've known them. But, uh, you know, from the early hours, maybe someone's coming and have a quick beer with lunch. It's very much a, a food focus or maybe people are coming and buying retail to take home for later. But six o'clock hits and the, the vibe very much changes into like a neighborhood meeting place. And we, we know pretty much everyone who's who comes in at this point. It's it's a very regular crowd, people who live around us or people who come from far away because they like us, hopefully. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see what the dynamic of a split retail bar uh, can do for your business. No, they're you're great, great spots. You're also kind of like the little um, outposts where, where both of you are. There's not a lot of other retail stores around. I mean, for, for you... We're so far east that it, there's, like, <laughs> there's no trains, let alone shops, so... Great. And John, tell us, you know, you're, you're, you sold beer for a long time. You're at Radagast. I mean, if you, tell us about Radagast. I mean, there's like huge oh, food man, I'm, in there. I, I'm on the complete end spectrum of a retail spot. No, I mean, we're going into our Oktoberfest now. We can have an upwards of over 500 people in our space. Uh, man, 20, 30 kegs in a day. Uh, we're tapping kegs of Hofbrau Oktoberfest almost every from every five to fifteen minutes. Another keg is getting tapped. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I started. I cut my teeth on German beer, working at Nuremberger Beer Hall in Staten Island, and then uh, slowly got into home brewing. And then I was at Flagship. So when I was at Flagship for almost over a year, I started selling to these guys, and these guys became pretty good friends of mine. Um, I mean, I, I remember going. I still go into Malton Mold, being like, "Hey, Kevin, you know, I got some new beer." And he goes, "Well, I got this in too." And you like, you know, I'll try my beer. I'll try a new beer from. Hell, I know, I know. Uh, Kevin loves uh, Kevin loves Sam Adams. There'll be a new Sam Adams beer. He'll have me try, and then uh, yeah, and I'm just you know. And then I finally just started transitioning into the into the buying side of the of the world, and uh, recently starting at uh, Radagast, doing the beer program there, which is it's it's been pretty intense now for the past. We converted weeks. you over. We got you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was at Taproom Three Hundred Seven for a little while, running that beer program, which was pretty crazy. Forty rotating tap lines, so uh, pretty pretty crazy transition from beer sales to. Uh, to, hey, Radagast, you, uh, you have a dedicated sausage cook, don't you? Yeah, so we have a full kitchen, um, which has uh, kind of like an Austria, Austrian-Hungarian uh, comfort food vibe to it. Uh, we just launched our Oktoberfest menu, so we added like a new pork shank and a, you know, a new charcuterie board. And then our grill is just uh, all really great, you know, um, imported sausages from Poland and Germany, really high-end stuff that we get through Greenpoint. Uh, so we do burgers, uh, portobello mushroom sandwich, sausages, all through the grill on the outside, which is pay-as-you-go. So a little bit of everything for, you know, depending on what people are looking for. That's great. When we get some special guests, the Dissolver guys, um, are we drinking your beer right now? Uh, so this is a collab that we did with Atlanta Brewing Company. So we're uh, formerly Red Brick Brewing Company. They just rebranded. Um, Brought in a bunch of new uh, production workers and kind of like overhauled the whole brand. So they felt like, you know, rebranding in general was a really good move for them since they're 25 years old. 
Um, but this is part of like a bigger collaboration, like I guess tour that we're doing where like, you know, until we get open, uh, we can't brew any of our own beer. So we're brewing beer with a bunch of our friends. What are some of the breweries that you're making beer with right now? Uh, so we just got back from Boston uh, and brewed a beer with the guys where it all started for me. Uh, at Night Shift, we brewed a triple IPA with uh, honey. And then we did the first one that we did was a Mexican lager with the guys over at Ardent in Richmond, Virginia. Um, we've got a sour IPA with a bunch of crazy fruit and citrus uh, to, like, see how that fruit and citrus can interplay on a similar backbone. Um, and then we've got ones coming up with, uh, Troon and Magnify and, uh, Ken Falls at some point, uh, Zillicoa and resident culture, are the more local ones in, uh, like the Asheville, North Carolina, Charlotte area. Um, so yeah, we're just going to be traveling around and brewing beer and seeing what happens. And you seem to know everybody, don't you? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, it's a small world. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing this for a number of years. And before that, we um, was in the homebrew scene and was a cellarman for Nerax, which is uh, like New England Real Ale exhibition. So it's the largest at the time. I'm not sure. I haven't kept up. But it, at the time, it was the largest exhibition of like cask beer in one place. So it was really cool to be able to like completely go into a VFW and overchange everything. So you would roll in and there were 300 plus casks on tap. I, if I'm not mistaken, is the wasn't the the head cellarman? Didn't he write a book recently last year on uh, how to take care of cask beer? Randy Barrel Barrel. Yes, yeah. he actually came to flagship last year, and we did a bunch of uh, cask beers. He was really cool. And we had a whole cask event. He came and he spoke and he his did signings of his book. His name is Randy Barrel. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I'm sorry, that's that incredible. That's awesome. pretty great. <laughs> that's yeah. absolutely incredible. Yeah. yeah, and his whole thing is he run he runs that festival. He runs that program. Yeah. Yep. So I worked uh, under him, and then uh, Mike Labby was the coordinator for the whole thing. So I worked with those two guys. I'm like, cool. So, you know, in a cask beer, these things you want to tap beforehand and let them breathe. And these other things you want to tap immediately. Uh, like a German lager is like tap it, open it up until it's gone. And people will just like consume, consume, consume. But something like a uh, big imperial stout might need to breathe for a little bit longer. So or something that you might need to like find. The cask culture is crazy. But yeah, that's that's taken so long. When I was studying for advanced, when I was last time I was on the show, we were talking about this cask was the one thing I feel like I had absolutely zero exposure to, whether out drinking it, pouring it myself, anything. So like reading about it, finally I was like, man, there's just so much I don't know about this. That's making me jealous a little bit. We should be there for that. <laughs> uh, it's a trip. <laughs> making me jealous too, yeah. man. <laughs> well, cask, I mean, all these, these these things change so much. You know, that's part of being a retailer or a seller of beer. I mean, cask 12 years ago, everyone was putting everything in cask, and now it's cans. Um, but you guys have a lot of, you know, very ambitious with Dissolver, and uh, I'm really happy that you guys came on. So you got, we're just going to chat about, you know, beer industry. But this beer cheese is, uh, it's really good. I've, I've had it out at some events, Kevin. What's the secret? Is, is it really that you're just using all your, your scraps of leftover cheese? We, uh, no, we use a proprietary blend of Jasper Hill cheeses, and that's what makes the magic. And then that's, the, that's the word, proprietary then, blend. I like yes, that. Yes, and, uh, and then we use a different beer every week, and the hoppier the beer, the spicier it gets. We're not quite sure of the science on that, but that's, that's been proven. Who wants to taste? So someone wants to, Zach, you want to do a I, taste you know, and talk us I've, through? I already had some in the beginning. I went a little silent because it was so good. But the, I've had all three. All three. So <laughs> yeah, and I guess I want to see what he says because I've. You got to try the three styles. So we used an Oktoberfest in the first one, and that should be you know you're going to get a little hit of spice, and then we used a uh, Finbacks um, Brightfield Kolsch. Again, that just lays down and should let um, all the cheese do the talking on that. And then we used DC Brow, the Corruption IPA, and that's really going to bring out the spices. And so, these are beers that you have on tap? On tap right now, yeah. You, you've got so some great stuff. I just want to give today. you a shout-out, man. Uh, Malt and Mold, you have a great newsletter. <laughs> and um, how can people sign up for that? That is a good question. We're still figuring that out. We had this, uh, the, our website company just changed, tweaked it, and now we, we, we don't have a link. So you can email us at info, I-N-F-O, at maltandmold.com, and we'll get you on the website this week. Yeah, because, I mean, what you guys are doing is so innovative. I mean, you, you have a, a story about a particular cheese. You have a cheese that, that had some truffles on it. In it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we try and bring in truffle cheese as often as possible, but you can't, uh, can't go to the well too often on that. So that's like a holiday specialty type cheese. And so if we bring it in non-holiday, like right now, we make a big deal of it. Yeah, and you, and you so, rotate through a lot of You always have tastings. and Tell us some of the breweries that, that you're working with right now. Yeah, we have tastings every week, uh, Friday, 5 to 8, so you can always come by and drink free beer, you know, between 5 to 8 different beers, 3 ounces each. It's well over a 
full pint of free beer. Um, we try and work with as many local companies, but it's, you know, these guys are small and they are, everyone's banging stuff out right now. So we don't get them in as often as we'd like for the tastings, just because they're super busy bringing us fresh beer. So we use some of the more established brands, you know, for the free tastings. And John, you know, you, you, you were a rep before. So what's the difference between selling beer to, to bars and then being on the other side and buying the beer? Oh man, I don't know if we have enough time for this one. <laughs> um, it's it's insane. I mean, I've done mold the mold tastings. They were some of my favorite. Um, it's tough out there. Uh, every week there's a new brand. You know, as from a sales point, every week there's a new brand launching in the city. Um, there's only so many craft beer bars that are open. Um, there's more. There's always another brewery, but not another craft beer bar. Um, I'm noticing, you know, you know, when I was selling beers, you know, there's there's no bars that do permanent lines anymore. So, you know, how do you, you know, as a New York City brand, how do you find sustained business? Um, you know, I think New York is starting to feel the saturation of craft beer. Um, it's tough if you're not with a brand that's not hyped and desired. You're almost kind of sad to say almost dead in the water uh, in a sense. Um, and then coming to a buyer standpoint, especially, you know, in the American craft beer scene with Taproom 307, um, Tuesdays were my days to see reps. Within two hours, I had 30, 30 different reps from 30 different breweries trying to push any different kind of beer. So it's kind of, I got to pick carte blanche of whatever I wanted coming into the city if it was a new launch from So how Canada. did you do it? So you, you just said, this is my window, and you show up, and I'll... So I had I had two days. It's like, hey, this is when I meet with buyers, you know, because other times I had to do payroll or whatever I had to do. And I'm like, hey, this is this is when I meet with this is when I meet with suppliers, and I would have everybody from Six Point to whoever the newest brewery was launching in the city coming to me. Uh, now with Radagast, a little bit different. Um, I'm only dealing with European beers. It's a little bit different. Um, one of my passions, it's what got me into craft beer, was European beers. I think it's what got a lot of people into, into craft beer. Um, a little bit simpler, but there is even more. You know, I, actually, John, on that note, on the way in, you, you said you're having a hard time getting. Real German October. Yeah, I was beers. actually I was really talking to uh, I was talking to Zach about it. It's just it's it's hard finding now on off premise accounts like you know supermarkets, delis, and things like that. They've concentrated more now on American craft beer, and it's like you know just to find a wine. You know, I've actually thankfully I found wine Stefaner Fest beer. Can't find off Hofbrau Oktoberfest anywhere. You know, it's just I think the, the turn has made right to American craft now. I could I had to find a sample. I needed to go out and buy some Hacker Pashore, and I couldn't find it anywhere. I remember like looking around. And I think the website was telling me to go to New, Jer- New Jersey, which was I'm not going to New Jersey. No offense, Jersey, I'm not going. Um, but it was. Well, that's a good start to the show, guys. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. 
We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're talking about selling beer, buying beer. We've got some great beer bars here. And new guys up from Asheville, North Carolina, soon to open Dissolver. So, um, Vince, we just had one of your collaboration beers. What, what is that again? Yeah, it was a, a dry hop pilsner with all New Zealand hops. So the idea was to try and look at like how the different hop varietals that are used in a traditional pilsner, uh, like how those oils then would... Uh, like the ratio of how those hops kind of split out and then looking at like a quote unquote New Zealand equivalent. So super low alpha, but like significantly fruitier. Uh, and it ended up like transforming it into a significantly more fruity Pilsner than what was initially planned, but it turned out really nice. I think we got lucky with you today because <laughs> I know you were in town and uh, you're a late addition to the show. So you, you ran the night sh- shift barrel age program yeah so i in boston I, yep so i uh mike and i actually met at a liquor store we were both working at uh blanchard's in alston and then kind of got into home brewing and then no way that place is <laughs> i know exactly that place <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was crazy man i grew up north of boston so I, yeah. oh yeah <laughs> uh so we were both like living in the general area and we call them packy stores though yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Yep. exactly yeah. uh, and both of us kind of had our minds blown by craft beer and it this was like Eight years ago, nine years ago. Yeah, your like advocate guys were just like kind of catching their steam with all their fests, and like being able to go out to those was just like mind blowing. And uh, it was actually this guy came in kind of tipsy one day uh, <laughs> to Blanchard's, and he's like, "Mike, we gotta, we gotta do this." And then from there, the dream started, and it's been like almost eight years, nine years, yeah. trying to get this thing going, and. It's yeah. uh, the perfect time to come yeah. back. But then to Vince, it. you but also then, you worked yeah, at Lord so, Hobo. Yep. So then uh, we started. We Next did, beer, guys. We did the homebrewing thing, and then uh, we got introduced to the night shift guys who were just opening up. Like it was, you know, you could go into like three bottle shops and find their bottles, uh, and they kind of were like, "Oh, well, if you're interested in getting more into the the business, maybe come and work for us." So I helped them do uh, a big push and expansion, and then I helped to open up Lord Hobo. Um, which was like a dramatically different thing. So instead of brewing with like purple carrots and mint and basil and cucumbers and all this crazy stuff on a super small system, I was uh, just brewing four core beers over and over and over again and trying to like hammer home super small tweaks over a long period of time. Um, just something that's like a little bit more shelf stable and uh, open to like more a significantly larger consumer base. Uh, and then from there, I went down and uh, worked. Did you make boom sauce? So was that you? Yeah, that, I did do boom sauce. I, wow. can't take, I can't take credit for it now. I haven't been there for a while. But like, you know. Oh, wow, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I think, I think Angelica has been. Have you had favorite. that in yet? <laughs> have you had Lord Hobo in? Of course, yeah. That, oh, man. Adam Zuniga was working for those guys, and he's like, he's a big proponent. I'm a big fan of his. So when they when they entered New York for the first time, it was uh, kind of a given we were going to pick them up. So yeah, they're on our shelf. We're, we're doing well. We're pouring them. Sick. Every every time I, I, I wanted you, you to give a little backstory. Man. And first, uh, kudos, Kevin. Love the beer cheese. Uh, Thank you. And again, that's Caitlin who makes that. That's Caitlin's also, famous. Also, if anyone uh, can hear, it sounds like soldiers goose-stepping in the background. It's just us chewing on these pretzels. I swear to God. <laughs> that's an image, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, so Vince, I mean, really, like, as you're talking about these collaborations, you mentioned one brewery you're trying to focus on the oat character, another one, fruit and acids. Yeah. You're really like a thinker in this regard. Yeah. So the, I mean, it all started when I was at Night Shift and then we got more focused on like, cool. So how do like super small changes then affect uh, the overall stability of a beer? Um, so like, how do you make this more shelf stable? And then how do you work with larger distributors and retailers over a much larger market, right? Like the guys in Boston that were all clamoring to get Trillium at the time. So this is like right when New England IPA was kind of starting. Uh, those guys were not the same guys who that same tap line was also trying to be allocated to six point, but there were way more lines that were trying to be allocated to six point. So it was like going after a different market at that point. Um, and not six point in particular, but just like a different realm of beer, like a little bit more approachable. Um, and then from like a, a bar standpoint, right? It's like, think about five years ago when hazy IPA was like a thing, you know, it was like, oh, cool, we'll have one. And now it's like, oh, cool, if we don't have like two or three, people are like, what's going on here, man? Well, I think yeah. what Night Shift really, really benefited from was actually doing their own distribution in Boston. Totally. I mean, because yeah. we, 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 can, we can go on and on about the whole Boston beer scene and the, you know, and the, and the pretty things debacle and all the, you know, yeah. the, the beer guild. But I think 
what what tried and true is is uh, Night Shift did a really great job, and I think he also did an article. I think it was in Brewbound about saying uh, one of the articles. Please don't open up another craft brewery. Open up another craft distributor. And yeah. I, that was one of the best articles I read. I was like, yes, this is what's going on in beer sales now. Yeah. Uh, subsequently, then we're opening up a craft brewery. There but, you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it all started with like getting kind of crazy with Night Shift and like, cool. What? How do the small change? How do big changes impact? And then like, how do you work with? Uh, farmers and get like all these crazy spices and then how does that translate into beer and how can we be as different as everybody else Um, but when you're growing that doesn't it's not a sustainable thing to just be as different as everybody else so then at Hobo it was like well cool how do we focus on these super small things and tweak to be like the most approachable so that everybody can kind of like your product and you have like a similar overarching flavor profile that then like if you're having a single IPA or a double or whatever it's approachable and it's semi-similar and people know what they're getting into uh, but then I went down and uh, helped open up the production facility for burial. And then it was like tearing off every, no rules. It was just like, cool, whatever. But, you know, throw whatever you want to do into it. Do a one barrel thing or do a uh, 60 barrel Pilsner, whatever. Are you talking about the summer camp place? Or are you talking about the the, yep. the so, summer camp? Yeah. Yep. So we went from like just operating out of a super small facility doing a thousand barrels a year to another completely separate facility where we could separate clean and wild beers. So it was just clean beers at 10,000 barrels a year rip versus, and then like slowing down all the wild stuff. So you could focus on that and have much slower turn beers. Cause you know, when you have a pub, uh, you can't like tie up a tank for six months with a Brett IPA or something like that. But then like when you've got a full production facility and you can funnel everything through the pub, there's no rules. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we just like saw that the Asheville market was like rife for, um, paying attention to local agriculture and applying all the crazy stuff that I learned from night shift and then applying some of the like more intricate fine tuned details that we got from Lord Hobo and then paying attention to, to like what's happening in Asheville right now is crazy because it's not this like different markets grow. Right. So like New York wasn't growing at the same rate that California was in terms of like retail sales or breweries or anything like that. And then Boston was behind that. And, but Asheville was like, I don't know, 10 years behind that. So like now there are a lot of breweries, but it's not, it's not the same. So there's still a lot of growth and we're being impacted by all these different things. But like specifically from a retailer perspective, everybody's focused on like what's brewed in Nashville. So there's not a whole lot of like, um, attention to like the German beer scene, like Oktoberfest mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is I think like the median age of Asheville is like 30, 31 years old, 30 years old. It's like a super young city, you know, really, really advanced, really progressive. And I, that's just the scene there is just so young. Yeah, but it didn't used to be. So it used to be like a retiree kind of thing. So the, the median age was like uh, 60 something and then it was like 50 something and then it was like 40 something. And now it's like ebbing down closer to 30 something. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, I mean, you can see, I, I've only visited Asheville once about a year ago and it was eye opening in every way. I kind of had everything. I kind of knew what, it, what to expect, but the getting there and seeing it for yourself, you realize there's you know, every, everyone all the way up from Sierra Nevada down to like the small, small, small production stuff. Some people who've been, you know, plugging through for years at the same size and everything in between. And it's just, you're, you're right. It's kind of amazing to see someone like you were saying before, different areas of the country, kind of sending some of their best and brightest there. So it, it sort of acts as an amalgamation of like what's happening in Boston, what's happening in California, what's happening in New York and kind of just kind of a, free, not a free reign, but so much as like a, a, a well-supported experimentation ground where a lot of things seem to take off. Yeah. And like when, uh, so like when I moved down there to find like Dodola or Cantillon or stuff like that, like the more, a little bit more niche Belgian stuff or, um, like Boscoon or like that, like I had never seen Boscoon on tap. Uh, or uh, or Tirier, for example, like had just hadn't ever been on tap in Asheville. Um, it might have been, but like maybe for like, you know, three weeks, however long the keg lasted. Uh, and then there wasn't really like a large German beer presence. So like Asheville started to like almost turn in on itself where it was just paying attention to local. And then now people have kind of started to realize that and beer bars are opening up and bringing more German beer in, more Belgian beer, more French beer, more Italian beer. And so it's like starting to look outward again. And this is like a part of this huge growth phase that's happening in Asheville that we're super stoked to be a part of. Because now that people's like, the palate's been elevated because so many people are moving in. So we're, we're influenced by, you know, Florida now and Tennessee's having a harder influence on us and California's starting to have a harder influence on us. So because so many people are looking at Asheville, it's experiencing this like crazy rapid growth phase where like way more beer styles. Uh, the average person is not just going in and being like, how's the brown ale? Ugh. 
But yeah. what, what about bar food? So we've got beer cheese at Malt and Mold in New York. What, what are some foods that you see typically at the better spots in Asheville? There is a decent amount of like food trucks. And then um, in general, there's not a, like each of the breweries now are what people go to rather than like craft beer bars. Um, so it's super interesting to see how all of these bars are trying to like adapt and play. And so now the big thing is people pulling beer from like further and further away. So as opposed to like stay local, it's, you know, you're drawing people from further away and then they're tying in with either food trucks or pop-up kitchens or something like that. So the food is also slowly expanding from like traditional pub food to like there's a kimchi taco truck and uh, like a grilled cheese truck and wontons and stuff like that. And it's slowly just like expanding into everything. I remember actually one night when I was down in Asheville, this was completely like, through no and uh, no kind of coordination or anything like that. I was at a uh, beer bar and that's going to kill me right now. It's like either the Jester or the, the King. Mad King, not Jester King, obviously. Something in downtown area there. And they, uh, I walked in and I sat down and then... Um, Thirsty Monk. Thirsty Monk. Thank hey. you. Thank you. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I see Chris O'Leary walk in, like a New York <laughs> beer writer. And I was like, Chris, I had known New he was York, in town. New York. But yeah, we showed up there and then Kevin and Basil from Finback walk in. Uh, and then uh, we'd been with Gerard from uh, One Mile House, and I was like, I have more people from Brooklyn in this one rest- in this one bar than I ever have in my own bar in, Ma- in Manhattan. Uh, it was kind of crazy. So yeah, it's it's kind of funny to see. Like yeah, there is a lot more outside focus. It feels like in certain areas they're just kind of highlighting beer culture in general in some of these spots, which is good for Asheville, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess how do you guys see it impacting like? You were saying before, you know, there's no more of these like dedicated tap lines. Uh, so how is that impacting like the general shift in consumer? Like, how are people consuming beer differently here if local or like a dedicated tap line is more like rotating over and over and over again? Oh, man. Zach, Good question. Yeah. It's, <laughs> can, I, can I take that for a second? Yeah, yeah, of course. All right. So I literally, I only have 10 lines. And when one kicks, we have customers that will even if I'm not there to tell my staff what's going up next, I have a spreadsheet. They're supposed to look at it and go do it. But if it there's some confusion, they will sit for 45 minutes and wait to find out what's going up next before they make their next choice. Get out of here. And again, that's not all of my customers, but there is a certain customer type that will wait a long, long period of that's time. That's totally Mike. Mike that's, totally yeah. <laughs> I know Mike. I'm not naming any names, Mike. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> Once again, we have the same exact situation. I have a, the, a very similar. I have twelve lines, so not a crazy number. It forces us to go through things very quickly, which is great because someone, you know, some of I think that's the perfect number. Oh yeah, you come in on a Tuesday and then you come back on Thursday, and half of them are different, by and large. And uh, I have the same thing. I have people who will they'll call and they'll, we have a tap counting system. They're like, "Are you close to kicking?" You know, the fin back. And I'm like, "Yeah." Like, well, what are you going to put on next? Do you think you're going to kick it tonight? Because I can wait to come until tomorrow. If you think that's going to be on, so people will kind of like it's not every customer, but there are a few that are as into the rotating taps because the the can selection has definitely become more rotating as we edge into the 16 ounce local fresh offering thing. But there are still I think there's a lot more uh, static on the shelf for, for what's available and people appreciate that. But for the draft program, especially with the, the Crowler machine that has become a huge hit for us, um, it's become a huge draw for some of the guys who are the more exploratory of the, uh, of the fans that we have. I mean, when I was selling beer, it's, uh, I mean, I haven't cleared my thoughts here. I mean, Tap Room 307, I was doing 40 lines. And when you're selling beer, unfortunately, the rotator accounts just can't sustain business. Um, so you're always chasing the next rotation. It's like, hey, can you get me on sooner? Can you get me on sooner? And 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 what I've noticed also with the local with the local rotator accounts is they don't necessarily buy local beer, because every single week there's a new brewery from outside of New York City launching here, and people are like, oh yeah, if I want this brewery from New York City, I'll just go there and get it. You know, I want something that I can't get in the city. And it's always like, what I can't get, what I can't get, what I can't get. And that's what people in New York City I'm seeing kind of want. It's they want what they can't have. Um, and that's unfortunate for the local breweries here. It's, you know, I've, I've spoken to a couple local breweries that they're selling more beer outside of New York City than in New York City itself, which is very shocking. Um, and it's unfortunate. I think, you know, if you take Portland, Oregon, for example, where breweries there are selling all of their beer in a city of, what, half a million people, and there's a hundred plus breweries there that's that's local brewery culture here i just don't feel like there's local brewery culture yeah that's awesome man this is going a great direction uh the second beer that you guys poured for us uh 
Sorry. Ethan, our buddy Ethan is listening and he's blogging into at Beer Sessions Radio on Untapped. So you can, I think we've tried over a thousand beers that he's kept track of. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty good. Good uh, job, Ethan. This is a prayer group from Tired Hands. It's a uh, fooder fermented and lagered lager uh, with a little bit of lime juice. Uh, I think it's like uh, Crystal and Hallertau Blanc. Uh, yeah, with a little bit of lemon juice. Sorry. Um, yeah, and then uh, cold condition in the bottle for many moons, which is like their thing. Of so you're showcasing us, your buddies. You seem to know everybody. You know guys from, totally. I mean, over the years at night, I think at night sh- shift the most. Is that where you met most uh, so, brewers? Yeah, night shift was like um, the more like, hey, travel around and then talk to everybody and learn everything you can because we were like very small and just trying to learn and do everything, like constantly throwing noodles at a wall to see what stuck. Um, Because Boston was in this crazy exploratory, like, everything, people are down to drink whatever phase. Uh, And then at Lord Hobo, it was, like, way more focused on just, like, these things that we're doing. Um, So we were meeting, like, bigger breweries. Um, And then when I moved down to Burial, everybody and their mother was traveling to Asheville. So it was, like, cool, wrap up a brew. And then, like, oh, there's four other brewers from, like, Portland and California and whatever, just, like, hanging out and drinking at the bar. Not in, not because, like, specifically drawn to burial, but just because, like, Asheville, there's always people in there. So just, like, keep your cell phone, like, turned on on a Friday, Saturday, and, like, you're getting hit up by everybody that can tell. Man, this is like the golden age of beer, isn't it, Zach? Yeah, it's, it's like, crazy. It's crazy how many people, you, you set foot in a new city, and, you, like I said, you cross paths with people I work with at home when I'm, you know, a couple hundred miles away. It's a, it's a fun time to be out there. It, and everyone also is really into like forming relationships i know when i travel i'll usually throw down a message on on social media or something and ask if i can meet people and even as someone who doesn't make beer i'm thrust into all elements of of the industry when i'm when i'm in a new city it's like the brewers it's the people who sell beer it's the people who work the tap rooms it's a lot of fun it's awesome hey we're gonna take another short break we'll be back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio all right zach mac Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio. Hey, uh, we're on live, Matt, right? We're still yeah, on. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. That was a great song, man. That was our theme song. <laughs> the Three Amigos, they're, the Beer Amigos, they're, they had a podcast out in Long Island, and they did that for us quite a while ago. So thank you, the Beer Amigos. Um, so we're, we're, we just tasted your second beer, and we're talking about you know different parts of the beer scene. But that's pretty interesting uh, what you just pulled out, Zach. <laughs> Took my thoughts away. <laughs> You're, there's a membership club in North Carolina. Is it, tell me how that works. Yeah, so the the way that North Carolina beer law is stated is uh, if 50, I think it's like 50% of your food has to be derived, or 50% of your sales has to be derived from food, or you have to be a club if you serve liquor. So there's all these bars around town where like you can't get in unless you have a membership card, and most of them are like, eh, it's a dollar. And then you hold on to this card, and then a lot of people will just, like, just have files in their phones where it's like, oh, all these places that I'm a membership to. But then there's one local bar that's right across the street from Burial that only sells memberships on very select uh, days of the week. And then did you have to fill out a thing that's like, a what's your form. favorite song? Yeah, and exactly. Like, what would you put on if yeah. this was on the jukebox? Yeah, exactly. What should we put into the jukebox and stuff? I was really nice to the woman. She like let me fill it out. She said, normally I don't do this for people without a state licenses. Yeah. And I was, like, yeah. I was yeah. like, wow, that's really nice of you. I kind of love the South. Yeah. I, and I still have that card in my wallet. And that was over a year ago. So... <laughs> What was, the name of the, what was the name of the club? The Prospect. Yeah, the Prospect. Yeah. yeah. It's, they got like bocce and a pool table. It's like where everybody on the South Slope, if you work in the beer industry, you go because you know that you're not going to be inundated by tourists and stuff. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. This is what it's, we it's talk about cool. in, on the break. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, any other, Tell us more places like that, Zach. I mean, you, you've been out in Asheville. Let's talk about Asheville. Cause I mean, Asheville, well, when I was there, I was uh, <laughs> during a beer uh, tourism conference, and I was uh, happened to be moderating something down there. So I got to go and, and tour White Labs, and I got to see so many. I got to, to tour the Maltsters out just outside of town. At Riverbend? Riverbend. Those, hey, those guys. Yeah. Those, are my, those are my homies. Yeah, yeah. those guys are great. Yeah. Um, and so we got like the full kit and caboodle. Like, we got to see. I, we didn't get to go to any hop farms, but we went to everything else. So uh, it, was, it was a really interesting trip because uh, I was with... 
a bunch of people who were more tourism focused than they were beer. So I was kind of along on this trip with people who were like really engaged and asking questions in a city like Asheville. It's like going to Bordeaux and not knowing anything about wine. Uh, so it's it was a really cool experience to get this. And also, like I said before, going to places all the way up to the size of like Sierra Nevada and New Belgium and then down to, to really, really small ventures, which the burial main tap room, which is like barely larger than Roberta's here. And uh, it's just really it's an awesome city to go to. Even if you're apathetic about beer, you'll find something you like. Yeah, man. And what what could we look forward to when you guys opened uh, Dissolver in 2019? I mean, there's a great on your Instagram. So, Mike, tell us about your Instagram. There's a really cool uh, video of the doors to your spot and the beautiful patio. Yeah. Um, you know, my goal was just to match Vince's creativity with beer with, uh, you know, my, my ability for design and animation. And, uh, yeah, just plugging away at that, trying to be as creative as possible. And, yeah. Photography, animation, and design has always been something that we've always had a uh, high value for. So, you know, pushing into this this next chapter of our careers, uh, opening this brewery is it's like at the forefront. Especially like as we try to figure out uh, a push for retail and stuff. It's like we want to develop the brand as much as possible. So when we do make that push, that we have something that we can sell and people would be aware of now. I gotta say, I, like, the first thing, the first instant when I met you was you pulling up a camera and taking a picture of me. And I've always learned, I was like, if you're ever gonna trust someone in marketing, it's the guy who shows up with a camera that looks like it costs more than your month's rent. So, <laughs> so that you, uh, yeah, the, and it's it's clear you guys are, you know, I I did a little preliminary, preliminary research on you guys, and it looks like you're it's, it's Asheville, really, man. The rent is really cheap. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I know. <laughs> well, you guys talk about marketing too. I mean, that's how we first met Kevin. We were you came up with an idea called Liquid Lent. Uh, years ago we wanted to do a promote it was like a was that my idea or yours I think that was, those we, were your we, words I remember those meetings I <laughs> was in that it. Yeah. yeah that's right we were talking yeah. about yeah. doing a what was it a, a Lent themed you know that's right. monastery days of Lent, beer drinking Belgian promotion. beer only right for recovering well, Catholics it's a great concept <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> <laughs> can you survive on beer alone but yeah monasteries only so we got some German beers in there as well Belgian based that was fun yeah I'm, I'm pointing out because he, they're talking about marketing. You're a great marketer, man. I mean, Liquid Lent, that was a great line. <laughs> yeah, I get bored very easily, so I try and keep uh, myself interested coming up with crazy, crazy oh, different... Man, uh, all those things. How do you have kidneys left after <laughs> But then how did you... So you, you created the Mud Club. That was something new, the Mud Club. We stole that from a bunch of breweries up in... Um, uh, the one I found was in Fairport, New York, and once I found that, uh, there's I've seen a bunch of them at breweries. So that's yeah, and people in New York aren't doing that. But but what, know, why did it work for you? That. Like what made well, it? Well, we're real neighborhood. I mean, like Zach was talking about how he knows a lot of his customers. I mean, we know 99 percent of our customers that come in, which by the way is a horrible business model. But <laughs> notwithstanding, um, Tara yeah, we, and we Mike know say everybody hi. in <laughs> Tara and Mike say hi. Tara and Mike, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, yeah, so it was just a way for them to have this cool thing. So you have this huge mug. It's 22 ounces. You know, you pay for 16 ounces, so it's sustainable. They can't drink me out of business. But then people who don't know each other see each other with a mug, and you've got this instant connection, and you can go and create a conversation out of literally nothing other than you have the same mug. Yeah, so what's, what's and that's, the, what's that's the waiting list up to now? It's, it's all over 100 people. And, you know, the, the thing about the waiting list is – it only comes due. Somebody's got to drop out in August, and then you come off the wait list. So it's one by one, and it's August only. So then you wait a full another year. So people talk about how many years they've waited, but it's really just, you know, that's it's harder than that's Ranger how it season does. tickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so in speaking with marketing, like in from your guys' perspective, how much does like individual like brand expression play into what people will then buy? Like, is it oh, are they influenced on like, oh, cool, it's is huge. that a crazy name or is that like it's this like, crazy Instagram profile or is that? Like, I, I'll put it to you this way: is that your beer can be mediocre, but if your branding's really good, that's all that matters. Crazy. And New, yeah, New York, yeah, you can have mediocre liquid, but if your branding and your hype is way bigger than your liquid. Doesn't matter. If I could jump in on that, though, I mean, as you know, I'm the guy who's controlling my beer wall, so I have to stand behind every beer that's up there. So the beer that's on my wall and Zach's wall, like it's got to hold up to the packaging, and that's what I tell people. Let's anybody who looks at the package and says, "Oh my God, that's beautiful," I'm like, "Yes," and. Yeah, the, I, the beer will hold up to that package. I, yeah, I agree. Kevin, he's got the right point. Like, I, I will maybe be coaxed into picking up something that I don't love once, but if it's if it's straight up terrible when I try it, if I, if I get something by word of mouth, which in beer happens a lot, uh, I will sometimes 
take it take it at face value and give it a shot. But if it's something terrible, I won't bring it back. But it's amazing what hype does for a beer, even when it's something where I get I get inundated with stuff samples all the time, from brand new breweries, from breweries that have been around since the beginning of the craft boom, and and it's amazing how people's perception of of breweries is what affects what they pick up. And labeling and everything is so important, and it can really have uh, an an outweighed value on what's in the can itself, and that kills brewers, and and rightfully so. Yeah. But um, it's just it's it's really interesting to me because I it, as someone who appreciates good marketing, it's like it, it's great when both things coalesce when when there's good marketing and good beer. Yeah. That's in an ideal world, that's everything, but it's unfortunately not always the case. Yeah, and that, and that always drove me up a wall. Taproom three hundred seven is like, oh, you got to get this brewery, you got to get this brewery, and it's like, yeah, I've had it. Their Instagram is great, their marketing is great, their packaging is great, their beer is mediocre. But in New York City, people care like, oh, it's hype, it's hype, it's hype. And it's like, the beer stinks. It's yeah. like, it's not great. There's a better brewery. And it's like, yeah, but they're not cool. Oh, <laughs> but the beer is so much better. But it's like, we don't care. Yeah, yeah It's not well, cool to it, drink. It all looks the same in a glass, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone say, wants a ticket to the show. You know, they want to, yeah. yeah. I'd say Vince's beer is like a million times better than my marketing. So I, <laughs> I, I really hope people dig it, too. And they, well, we they hope get a so, chance, man. So. And so, you know, um, what was the beer you made? You were testing out different ways that oats interact yeah so uh we're gonna brew a beer with the guys from magnify and we got to talking and it was like well you know, what's your i love right? those guys yep. They're so great. it was like well what's your favorite um if we're t- if we're just talking like base style what's your favorite thing to throw into like an ipa and it was like oh man i really like oats and they were like oh have you ever used oat milk before and i was like oh no but i use oat malt a lot and i'm a big fan because it's like a little bit more crispy but you get a like very definitive oat character uh, and flaked oats are just more for like soft mouthfeel. So we were like, well, what if we layer all of that together and then like really ramp it? Like what's the most that we can get? Because 100% oat malt is a totally different piece. So it's like how much can we like pull in the oat direction without being 100% oats? So what's the percentage of oat? You still have to have barley in there? Uh, technically, you can do 100% oat beer and it like will ferment out and make beer. It's a lot more difficult to like balance just oat on itself. But you can do it. We did it at uh, Burial and with... Mixed reviews. You, you can do it. See, I personally, I freaking love oat and beers. Like, I can, I, I love the the texture it creates and the and the flavor profile that it creates. So, I, I knew I liked those Magnify guys. If that was their first answer, They're yeah. on the right page. But I'm excited to try that. So. Yeah, it should be cool. I've yeah. never used oat milk before, but supposedly it's like it does Didn't, everything it, you want. They it to did do. some someone. I tried an oat, beer, oat milk beer. I think at um, Brewer's Choice. Uh, I think Magnify had something with oat milk in it, or someone at Brewer's Choice had oat milk in the beer. Interesting expression, and I liked it. So I hope best of luck to this one. I can't wait to Let's try that. Get, who wants to ask one more question? Kevin's dying to. I know. Wait. You do you want to ask a question? No, I'm good. <laughs> I, I, I could do a question because like I'm very interested in this from like a brewer's perspective and how this again like I, I don't get a lot of chances to like have multiple retailers and then ask a question very directly. Uh, so with the way that like things are shifting, like yeah, there was this whole like haze craze that happened, and you guys are in New York, you're very well aware of this. Uh, but are people is are we slowly changing that corner where people are more down to like buy lagers and try like a fooder fermented whatever, and like wild and sour beers are kind of coming more to the forefront, or are we still like I guess how how is the general palette changing? I think uh, it's funny. I sorry, I don't mean to jump no, in too, I, I, too I, soon. No, I think all three of us should give our opinion. Yeah, I think there, it's different. still a slightly bit like a cart leading the horse situation, and that brewers are the ones coming up first and being like, "Okay, hazy IPAs are done. It's brewed IPA now. So get on with that and get ready because that's what's the thing." And people, it's it's interesting. There is still a little bit of backlash against certain things. They, everyone tried to make session IPA happen, and it didn't happen as big as people wanted it. So, but I think. For a lot of people, like there's a list, interesting niches that form when this happens as well. Like I don't think anyone realized how much they liked Mexican style lagers, and now that's a, certainly a solid uh, like subculture for people or rice lagers. Um, so it, there's weird things that develop from that, but I still think it's very much we're still kind of at the whims that the the beer makers to set the the tone and the culture. Um. John. My quick two cents on it is that uh, you we're know, wrapping up. Yeah. So so sitting on the sitting on the New York City Brewers Guild in the last few months, you know, unfortunately not there anymore. Is that when we went to the meetings at the breweries, the number one beer that was selling was the lightest beer on the menu for the brewers. You know, hmm. so we went to uh, for for what I remember is Five Burrows had a had their version of a Michelob Ultra, <laughs> and that was the number one beer getting drank there. Um, New York City is a very very unique place. It is very different than any other city that I can imagine reading about. When it comes to craft beer, it's very, very different. Um, 
And from what I've noticed with beer drinkers, you know, especially with other half, there's a recent article that came out is that the richest of rich people that hang out in the Hamptons, they're drinking other half and they're actually hiring people to wait online <laughs> for them to get that beer form. It's like the highest quality beer and the highest quality wine from Burgundy. That's where like, that's the craziness of New York City beer scene right now is. So it's, it's all over the place. Okay. And Kevin? Yeah. For us, out of our 10 lines, we can still go four hazy IPAs, two sours, and then what, uh, a stout. And whatever else I want to put up after that, hmm. I, and I feel like I feel like I, the IPA or different types of IPA and lagers are, are equal in terms of volume. That's yeah. what that's my experience. My but, IPA will end fast, and then Pilsner second. Always. Yeah, and then just one last thing since since we just tasted a couple of crazy beers, um, John, the last beer you brought us is. Uh, Wine Stefaner Fest beer. Unfortunately, like I was saying, Mac, before, it's really hard to find old school German beers in New York City stores. So we're going to, a, if we're coming from a guys, you guys, having, you know, just getting your legs underneath you to the oldest brewery in the world. And uh, I just want to say, <laughs> yeah. you know, coming back to what, you know, what styles there are, just having tasted this now, the Fest beer, it's very refreshing. Oh. And it, it's the hell almost, fest beer, right? It's just like calming on my palate. Crystal so, clear. Yeah. You can see you know, at, yeah. at some I also saw last year a lot more customers wanted something with some malt, you know, forwardness and less hops. So yeah. and people were asking for that. I don't know if that comes up. But. Oh yeah, no, this that's the last frontier in this country is the malt driven beer like fear dwindling out a little bit. People actually like, embracing the idea that like uh, ESBs and things like that can take hold in this country, but uh, like also Marzins and things like that. But like, yeah, how are you guys playing with different grains? You know, oats and rye and other things. Yeah, so we uh, we we'll, we've definitely partnered with Riverbend to do. Uh, I would say a majority of the sour production will utilize local grains, and it's because they they do this really cool thing uh, where it's all of the grain is sourced from within 500 miles of the malting facility which is super cool. Like we're, yeah, we're fairly coastal, but like, it's still a pretty big footprint. Um, so it allows us to have like a very unique terroir. And then we're also using a lot of, um, proprietary yeast and bacteria for our sour program. So we do a lot of plating and then isolating and then growing up individual cultures and then trying to get like this different unique character that nobody else can really replicate. So I think that like Malt is definitely like the final frontier. And then I think that there's like this new frontier that's kind of opening up. That's like people just haven't really paid attention to it, which is bacteria and yeast and uh, individual like, I guess, well, like cultures. So not individual, but like, cool. So we got all this um, mixed culture from uh, grapes that were like spontaneously fermented or uh, we got this from peaches or whatever. And then like that's capable of then being isolated and made into like a lager, like that's where all this came from. That's so, awesome, man. So look, yeah. Looking forward, right, to try and dissolve our next year, 2019, Ashland, North Carolina. Let's just, we're going to wrap it up, guys. So thanks, everybody. Um, just one more time, everyone say their name and their, where they're from. Uh, Zach Mack from Alphabet City Beer Co. and Governor's Beer Co. Uh, John O'Donnell, from, uh, beverage director of uh, Radagast Beer Hall. Kevin Heald from Malt and Mold. Michael Semnek, marketing director for Dissolver. Uh, Vince Tercy, Dissolver Brewing Company, Asheville, North Carolina. You guys, thanks so much for joining us. Big shout out to our producer, Justin Kennedy, engineer, Matt Patterson, uh, new intern, Dylan. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks for joining us on the Heritage Radio next time. We'll catch you next week on Beer Sessions Radio. All Great right. Have you back, Jimmy. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.